I'm just going to open up with a couple of scriptures and then we're going to pray. And then I promise you, I will not keep you long. I am sure uh, everybody's still probably wanting to continue their naps from such a long weekend. So we're just going to get right into the word of God. I think God's going to challenge us. He'll give us something special and we'll be able to leave here a little bit better than when we arrived. So I am pulling just from two scriptures in Romans chapter one, verses 21 and 25. It states, for although they knew God... They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, which means it's incapable of producing or pointless. So it became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the the created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. For just a few moments, I would like to talk to you about creation versus creator. Creation versus creator. Let's pray and you can be seated and we'll kind of just dig right in. Lord, we're grateful for this morning. You've already manifested your presence in such a sweet way and what's happened here during the worship set. But right now, God, uh, you've connected with us in this room. And so, Lord, we want you to navigate the rest of this message. And when we begin to pray at the end here, that something would happen in this room that would happen to me personally and to everyone that's here that'll give us what this next step is, how to just get closer to you and how to be able to reach those around us. But God, just anoint my words as you have given them. But Lord, anoint every heart, anoint my heart and ear for us to be able to listen and grasp what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, and you may be seated. Obviously, we have concluded Thanksgiving And now we're in Christmas mode. And shame on anybody in this room if you started playing Christmas music before Thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Listen, that'll preach anywhere. I don't care who you are. There's patience. There's a lot of scriptures we can pull on Christmas before Thanksgiving. I feel bad. Like we haven't even, we didn't give Thanksgiving its proper due and we're already hanging trees, already shopping and getting everything ready. So um, if, if you still need to be counseled and prayed through, then this is your day. I don't believe in doing anything Christmas related till Friday morning. I will not uh, jump the gun come Thanksgiving. But uh, when we look at this subject today, creation versus the creator, um, obviously in order to have a creation, there must be a creator. Somebody has to develop, create, implement something, and therefore you get the creation. And obviously there are lots of different things we can think about when we're looking at a creator versus a creation of theirs. But some of the more impactful ones that we know of is Michelangelo painted the Sistine Chapel. He painted that. He birthed that. Leonardo da Vinci painted the Mona Lisa. And then you have Beethoven who wrote and composed the Ninth Symphony, which is probably one of his best ones. And Mozart wrote and composed uh, Requiem, which is one of his probably notable pieces. But all of that was created because someone put some work in. That was created because someone birthed something. Newton's law of motion tells us that an object at rest will stay at rest unless it is moved on by a higher power. So you have to do something in order to be a creator. Does anybody believe that everyone in this room is a creator? Do you believe that you are a creator? God has gifted every one of us the ability to create something. You have the ability to make movements in your life. Not everybody dictates everything for you. You can create moments in your life. You can create space in your life. We are all creating something. Uh, But unless someone moves the pen, nothing can be written. Unless somebody operates a chisel, nothing can be uh, created there. And unless somebody is stroking a brush, nothing gets painted. So somebody has to do something in order for it to be created. 
Now, for some of you who have been down in Detroit or other places, uh, if, you're, if you're a lover of museums, then you'll know what I am talking about. When you go to a museum, typically you'll find art, sculptures, there is uh, various different kinds of art. And, and so when you come to a place like a museum where you're looking at these different art pieces, typically what you'll find, there'll be a plaque, there'll be something that'll give you context for what you're looking at. Here is either the information on the artist. Here is something on the, the sculptor. Here is somebody who, who created this composition. Whatever that is, um, there will be a little plaque with some information. But what do we typically do when we go to a museum? How long do you really park yourself at the plaque and read what it says? We breeze through it, but what do we do? You end up sitting there, we fold our arms, and we look at the art piece, and we go, wow, isn't that special? Doesn't that look great? I would love to own that in my house. We'll look at the piece and we'll revel in the piece and we'll spend a ton of time looking at the piece more than the time we would spend on the artist or uh, the composer or the sculptor. But we'll spend so much time looking at it. And and I I mentioned this story earlier this morning that uh, actually in my travels back and forth before my wife and I moved here, my brother had worked with this gentleman named Art. I always forget his last name. But he was very wealthy, had a mansion in Bloomfield Hills, and uh, matter of fact, there was so much work going on at this house that they actually had a time clock in his house. So every employee would clock in and out at the house. So they had contractors all the time. And this gentleman purchased all this art in Europe and he had it flown in and he built a specific room in his house just to house the art, just to put the art up. And here, when you look at it, you know, my wife and I have been remodeling, so we have been on a shopping spree. And yeah, I heard a, ooh, listen, I've been to At Home, Hobby Lobby, Michael's, Joanne's Fabric. I I get the sales 60% off, but you know what? It don't feel like 60%. The only 60% off is what's in my account now. I've lost 60% of my income. That's what happens. Everything else, all them sales, like, listen, it's like Kohl's, Kohl's money, Kohl's dollars, what a, that is the biggest scam, ladies. Like, listen, it doesn't save you anything. You're still spending money, but yet we're going to go shopping. And so if you've ever had to shop for decor, it's like, what do we do? We pick the perfect piece that speaks to us, correct? You go in your home. It's either it's in your kitchen, it's in your living room, wherever it is, and, and you'll put it up on the wall and we'll build the room around that piece that we love so much to now that the focal point becomes the art. The focal point is now what you have purchased. Furniture can point to it, and it ultimately becomes a, the center of conversation. It is the centerpiece in the house. So when you are looking at art, if you've ever purchased a piece of art, I know we, uh, we once purchased a, it was a painting, a, a Boston landscape from somebody uh, in Boston. We loved the landscape, so we purchased it from this artist. We, we had it brought to the house, and it was a beautiful piece, and I centered everything around that piece in our living room downstairs. I loved it. And it was a topic of conversation. Hey, that skyline. It was just, it was, it was very detailed. It was unique. And so we'll do that when we're looking at something that somebody has created. We'll spend all this time and investment to making sure it's the ideal piece in your home that becomes the center of conversation. I've spent a lot of time talking to you about arranging your art and what it means with this creative piece from somebody. And all of that has really no eternal value. But we do the same in the spirit world if we really look at it. See, when you look at moments of your life, every one of us, we have moments in our lives that we have captured. 
We've had some great times. We've had some times that we wish we'd, we'd never encountered, things that happened to us that we've never asked for them, cards that were dealt that we never wanted. And then there's some monumental moments that have happened in your life that you have. And so when you look at the museum of your life, the history of your life, you'll be able to see pictures of things that have gone on in your life. And underneath those pictures, you'll find these plaques of when God did that. Man, I, I remember, see, I remember when I, I received the Holy Ghost. I was eight years old. I remember the T-shirt I was wearing. I remember how cold the baptistry was. I remember when my, my pastor growing up, Jay Sternman, prayed over me. I remember when my dad was there, my brother. I, there, that's a moment in my life. I remember when I, the first time, uh, obviously, I laid eyes as Bridget walked down the aisle and how emotional I became. That is a, a there is a moment and a placard below that that tells me, man, this was, you know, I, I met her. It was a God thing. And when, when God just really locked in and said, hey, this is going to be your wife. There are moments in your life that every one of us can go through and that we can look. But what, what do we do? We'll come in. We'll look at the moment. We might give a little brief description and remember what God did, but we fixate ourselves on the memory, the moment, what was created out of a prayer room, was created out of a Bible study, what was created out of a discipline in your walk with God, what was created out of somebody pouring into your life. And we'll have all these different moments in our lives. And what do we do? We'll look at it and we'll remember and we'll romanticize the moment more than how it was birthed. Oftentimes, you'll look at that moment and, and we'll just remember how it made us feel and, and we'll center everything in our lives around these moments. But all too often, we forget about the creator that gave us the creation. All too often, we focus from who the creator was, but all of a sudden, it's now about the creation. It's about my family and what I have. And look at this beautiful home that God has blessed us with. Look at the vehicle that's in my garage that God had helped us purchase. Look at, we look at all of these moments, but now all of a sudden... We start to look at the creation more than the creator. And so let me take you to Isaiah chapter 44, and I'll read you just a few verses, verses 6 through 11. This is what the Lord says. This is all in the NIV. Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare it and lay it out before me. What has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yet let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are not my witnesses. You are my witnesses. If there any God besides me, no, there are no other rock. I know not one. And who make idols are nothing. And the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a God and casts an idol which can profit nothing. People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stands. They will be brought down to terror and shame. When you begin to read Isaiah, Isaiah is talking about, number one, who God is. God is saying, there's nobody else like me. I am the only God. There's no other rock like me. There's nobody else like me. I am the true one. Everything else is a, forf is a counterfeit of me. If you were to continue reading in Isaiah, Isaiah spends time in verses 12 and 13 
talking about blacksmiths and carpenters. He talks about carpenters that they take these tools they use and, 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 and they'll, they'll build things, they'll measure, they'll, they'll build a wall. They build stuff. So carpenters are measuring and building and they're putting something up. Same thing with blacksmiths. They're making tools. They use their hands. They use heat. They forge these weapons, these tools together. And now all of a sudden it's something that they can use. But in no terms is what was created by the blacksmith or the carpenter more valuable than the, than the tradesman. If you can create it, you're therefore greater that you can dismantle it. You can take it apart. We've been obviously remodeling our home. And I know where every wire has gone. I know all the new two by fours that were put in. I know what the flooring looks like. I could never say that my hardwood flooring is in a better situation than I am. I could never say that what we have created in that home is better than the person that designed and put the blueprints together. How Bridget decided to move walls and put everything. The walls, the rooms, the spaces themselves are not any greater than Bridget who had to redesign the home. She is more powerful than the design. The creator has the authority over the creation. And oftentimes, as we read at the beginning of scripture, we can begin to worship the creation over the creator. And in the season we're in, this could be very uh, vital to hear what we're talking about here because you'll see how in culture and what we have become, it's so easily often for us to move from creator to creation. And so let me take you to Romans 1 verses 21 and 25 again. They knew God. They knew God. They neither glorified him nor, nor gave him thanks because their thinking became futile, foolish hearts. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the created things rather than the created. So what is this truth that they have substituted or exchanged for a lie? Begin to think, well, what's the lie? What is that? Well, that took me back to Isaiah 44, verses 19 and 20. No one stops to think, no one has the knowledge of understanding to say, Half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make detestable things from what is left? Shall I bow to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? What he's walking us in scripture saying, what the blacksmith did, what the carpenter, what the electrician, what the builder can do, the lie becomes when the creator creates something and his creation now becomes the source of saving the person. What does that tell me? That's telling us this morning that it doesn't matter what you have created. It doesn't matter what God has created and given to you. That cannot be your source of saving you. You cannot worship the creation because it is telling us that is the lie that we have believed that all of the blessing and everything that we have, the creation that has been given to us, is going to be your source of strength. The creation will never be your source of strength. I'm going to tell somebody, if you think your wife or your husband is going to save you and bring you pure happiness, you're wrong. If you think that you purchase a new vehicle, all of a sudden you, are going to, you will have met what is truly fulfilling in your life, you're wrong. If you think the career that you have carved out and spent thousands of dollars in education, building up your, building up your finances, and your, I'm telling you right now, that will not sustain you. The creation cannot sustain, but the creator can sustain. It's about the creator, but when we shift our eyes from the creator 
to the creation is where we get in trouble. That's where we begin to we begin to mix things up and become to operate in a place he has never asked us or intended for us to operate in. But the creation is a cheap substitute for the glory of the creator. But how do we get to a place where we worship the creator over the creation or the creation over the creator? Remember Romans chapter one, verse it says we knew God. Has anybody in this room ever had an experience with God before? Like you've had a legitimate encounter, whether in your vehicle, in your home, here at this altar, somewhere you've had a legitimate encounter with God. You know him. You felt him. It's a real thing in your life. This isn't something you read in a book somewhere. This isn't a story somebody told you. You have some real experiences in your life that God showed up and you say, but God, I know you. I've had an encounter with you. How is it that we can know God and yet distance ourselves from him. So there's a formula for walking away from worshiping the creation over the creator. Number one, they did not glorify God as God. See, when you look at the word in the Greek, it means to render, bestow, or esteem glorious. You have to do something. It is a verb. You have to do something. It is action. You have to glorify God. And that is by our lifestyle. How everything points to God. I'm always leery of people that will get on the Internet and they will post everything that their ministry is doing and what God is doing. I'm always a little hesitant because if this is to the glory of God, then I shouldn't have to boast about what I'm doing. If this really was for God, then I don't have to promote it to anyone. Your gift will make room for you. So if you feel like you are constantly always having to put yourself out there and cultivate a place of, of showing what God has given you, then my question to you is, is that really bringing glory to God or are you bringing glory to a kingdom that you're trying to build? I, I, not in my notes. I said it this morning, but just a couple of days ago was Lauren Reed's birthday. 24. We love you, sis. The big part of First Church. Well, I didn't have a picture with her. I was looking, looking for a picture, just wanted to say happy birthday and post something. I, the only picture I could really find was from our creative team a couple of weeks ago. We, God just showed up. We had a great time praying. And I just happened to be by Lauren, felt like I needed to pray with her, started praying with her. And I'm grateful that our creative team captures. Right now we have those on roamers. We've had so many shooting today. Aren't you grateful for the creative team that have been able to capture moments with such excellence and be able to... Um, just grateful for that team. But I remember looking at that picture and I was going to post it and I felt a check. I said, well, the picture's me praying over her. How is that, number one, celebrating her birthday? That's celebrating me. Look at me. I pray, guys. I came around the altar, put my hands on Lauren's head, and I started praying. That's not bringing glory to God. That's attracting attention to what I do around the altar that's a service to God. I glorify God through my worship, through praying, through, through just feeling after his spirit. I am glorifying God. So I am not going to post something that brings an attraction to something that was supposed to be between me and God. I had to check my motives. You know, I'm not going to post that. I'll just shoot a text. So if you're here and you keep finding yourself wanting to post about what, what man, look at what God gave us. There is a difference between having a heart of gratitude and being thankful or look at my new car. Look at my new house. It's all under the name of Jesus. But you're really just trying to show what God's been doing. But really, how many hours you had to work on overtime to have that house, to have that car. This is real practical teaching. I get it. This is the Sunday after Thanksgiving. You're tired. But this is going to help you. I promise you. 
So the formula for moving from the creator to worshiping the creation is number one, stop glorifying God. Glorify your kingdom. That is your first step. The second step is they did not give thanks unto God. They become they became ungrateful. Thanks is a verb. It's to show gratitude. It's in an expression of word and in deed. And so we cannot say we thank God and not have to and not express it somehow. I think in this culture, we have become such an entitled generation. We're entitled. Has God ever answered any of your prayers in this room? Any prayer? That's okay. Let's make it easier. If God never answered a prayer, lift your hands. This will make it easier for us. Okay. So everyone in this room has had a prayer that has been answered. Here's the problem with an answered prayer. We feel entitled when he doesn't answer a prayer. Well, God, you've answered it before. You've done this before. Why won't you do it again? How come you, and now we start to get ticked at God because he didn't answer the prayer. And now all of a sudden we think we're like him because we rise up with pride and we're saying, hey, why aren't you answering my prayer? Who am I, the audacity of me to look at God and say, why aren't you answering my prayer? Why aren't you following my timeline? Why aren't you listening to me? And all of a sudden we start to look at God like we're better than him and we know better than him because we've had history with him and we have watched him perform in the past. But instead, we become ungrateful and, in, and entitled. I've got two boys, and I won't say which one it is. So it's a 50-50 chance with you. But I'll never forget, you know, growing up, our early Christmases were super easy. Like, as a parent, the first few years, go to the dollar store. Spend $100. That's 100 gifts. The tree looks ridiculous. They love it. I mean, they're ripping stuff. It cost you $100, and everybody loved it. They get older, $100 buys you, like, not a pair of shoes, a shoe. Y'all know what I'm talking about. $100 can't even buy a gaming console. $100 can't even buy you, like, a couple pairs of pants. So I'll never forget when we had Christmas, and the boys come, and we're excited. And we're in the awkward stage of being parents. They're no longer good enough for the dollar store, but I'm not spending $200 on a pair of shoes yet because you trashed the one. You're still at, like, we're hanging at Walmart still. Like, you're, you're not getting $200 shoes. We're going with, like, thrift shoes right now because you trash them every time. So we're in the awkward stage with kids. And so I'll never forget, we open and we're excited. Like, we worked hard for this. We were creative in what we purchased. And when that dude opened, <laughs> when that dude opened up his gift and he said, oh, I have never wanted to throat punch my own child as much as I wanted that day. <laughs> I, listen, I'm being honest with you. I know a lot of parents in here, you guys are way more loving and you would never hurt him. I, I get it. You, you would never do that. I understand you. Matter of fact, I was talking to someone. They were interviewing a job um, for a caregiver. They were looking to um, work with a new family. And so she told me, she was like, hey, yeah, you know, she had two interviews. One of them was, was uh, pretty solid. Both were solid interviews. But one of the moms said, listen, listen, we don't say good or bad. It's green or red behavior. When he's good, we say that's green behavior. When he's bad, it's red behavior. Because we don't want him to think he's bad when he says he's bad. I'm like, dude, the dude's bad. Like, slap him. Like, maybe not slap him. It's not your kid. But listen to me. If he's bad, be like, bro, that's bad. Like, stop doing that. No, don't do that. 
But we come like, it's an entire, like, we don't want Johnny to feel bad. Like, we're not entitled here. Like, listen, like, it's either bad or it's good. Like, teach him what's right and what's wrong and move on. Like, I'm, I'm not going to, like, color code everything and try to create the safe place where nobody can feel. No. Like, we've, we've, like, we're entitled to something now. And so now we can get to a place where God gives us what, what we've been asking for or not fully because we can't fully see the plan. And when he gives it to us, what do we do? Oh. God wants to throw punch us half the time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So when we become ungrateful, that is the next step from moving from worshiping the creator to worshiping the creation. And the third one is that we have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. We become self-reliant. Remember in Isaiah where it was what was created, what was in his hand became the lie. Because why? The carpenter could never look at the two by four, listen, I've moved my brother 53 times. I have moved the same two by four 53 times. He's kind of like my dad, a pack rat. Love you, bro. But he keeps everything with him. So I remember the last couple houses ago, we're moving the same two by fours I moved 10 years ago. I'm like, son, throw this stuff away. Have a bonfire. Like it's, but, he, but imagine that little, that little piece of two by four that he's kept. Imagine that having more value than the tree. Imagine that little two by four having more value than what he built with that two by four. In no way would you say that two by four, that six inch piece of two by four is more important than the wall he framed with the rest of the two by fours. But instead, he's telling us, like, listen, you cannot be self-reliant and think that thing that you created, the excess of that, that creation is more important than, what, the, than the person that created it. And the lie is... It's when we become self-reliant on what God has given us that we now think we don't need him. The truth of God is that it's all in him. The truth of God is that he is alpha. He is omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is provision. He is healing. He is faithful. He is the miracle. He is everything. But when we begin to take our eyes off him as a creator and we start looking at his creation and I start to identify who I am in my relationship with my wife or my children or you begin to identify who you are in the relationships that you're cultivating you begin to identify who you are through the, the amount of money that is in your bank account when we start looking at what the creator has given us and we substitute the need for him for the reliance of what he has given us that is where the lie comes in that is how we start to move from the creator to the creation. Revelation 12, 9 says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He has thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. See, the enemy is a deceiver. If the enemy can make you believe that the relationship that you have is more important than God, then he will have won. Because go back to what Isaiah was saying in 44, that it is a terrible thing. With damnation if you start to put your trust in the creation and not the creator. You cannot afford to mix the two up. And if you look at what God, it, it amazes me. If you've ever prayed that God would bless you with a child. That God were, I remember it, it took us a while to conceive Dominic and we prayed for it. And finally God honored us, blessed us and there was Dominic. In no way could I ever see that I would jeopardize my walk with God, my connection to the kingdom, because of a child that God gave me. 
it baffles my mind when people will pray and say, God, just, we just need, give us, we just need a miracle baby. We need a family. If you give me a healthy family, God, I'll serve you. Come Monday night, it's like, I got to put, I got to put Timmy to bed. I can't go to prayer. Oh, you know what? I, I can't go. I can't make it to service because you know what? He's got soccer practice. Oh, you know what? I can't, I can't get him in youth group because Friday night, he, he wants to be with his friends at the football game. So we can't get to youth on Friday nights. This is real. This is something where God said, hey, I have created, I've given you creation, and now you're worshiping the creation over me. You have chosen to worship your children's school schedule over my schedule. You have chosen to worship the thing. It's like, Lord, if if we could just get a house big enough to house our family. I just, you know, we're tired of living in two bedrooms. We really need three. Okay. So you overextend yourself, right? We go in and we get something nicer. And what happens? All of a sudden, we got to work overtime. Oh, I got to put in some more hours. All of a sudden now, we can't, we can't make it. We can't make it to prayer. We can't make it to service. I had to pick up an extra shift. Well, are we worshiping the creation or the creator? We can start all the projects. Brother Andrew Hill, this is, he's probably so flown around somewhere in this room. This is a plug for you, sir. We can start all the projects in the house. But pride and shine, we can't come rake somebody else's leaves. Ooh, okay. I'll still get my check tomorrow, guys. It's fine. Right? We can do everything else, but when it comes time to getting in the community, what am I doing? Am I going to be here on Pride and Shine Day? Am I going to be here working in, in the community? We have created the difference. Not created, but we have, a, we have created a gap between the creator and creation. In Genesis, right, light was created. The atmosphere, then land and vegetation, sun, moon, and stars. Then it was the birds and, and, and the sea creatures, and then wildlife, and then humans. So we go through mankind is created. We go through all of this. And now look at what culture has been doing. Look at how there is a difference between the creator and creation. Now, when you're dealing with light and sky, we now have global warming issues. We throw millions of dollars at global warming. Our politicians are deep into it. It's created a divide globally over this. When you look at vegetation, the plants and the trees, we now have everything green and listen, I'm for it. Like, I'm all for going green. I'm all for, I'm all for that stuff. But I cannot let that jeopardize my disciplines and my walk with God. I cannot allow that to have an impact to live in fear of what tomorrow looks like. Because newsflash, it's all going to come to an end one day. Anybody else believe that with me? One day, it's all going to come to an end. I don't care how green you are. I don't care how much global warming stuff we buy. I don't care what policies. I don't care what politicians will tell you. One day God's coming for his church. And one day we're going to rise. And I don't care how much you have put into the system. I'm telling you one day we're going to see the creator and his creation will be left behind. When dealing with sea life and wildlife, we protect the endangered species. There are a total of over 99 endangered species right now. But yet we can't protect mankind. The CDC in 2019, and not every state reports to the CDC, in 2019, in the states, there were 629,898 abortions in the U.S. But we'll save the spotted owl. We're going to save the whales. We're going to save the endangered species. But yet, the creation, we are worshiping the creation, not the creator. Dealing with man when God created him in his likeness. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 and 4. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, 
truce breakers, false accusers, incontent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, haughty, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than the love of God. Does that sound like today? Listen, we just had all these elections. I might have been the only dude that wasn't shocked when I woke up. I, I read the posts. I saw the news. Everybody was so frustrated at the, the news and who was voted in and the policies and, and, and all of the everything that's been legalized. I said, you know what? The Bible says when peace, peace, right? When peace comes, that's when we should be nervous. I'm not nervous right now because this is according to what Scripture is telling us is going to happen. This isn't a shocker to me. I think what's a shocker to me is when we have to rely on a politician to put in a policy that makes us easier to reach the world. I think it ought to be the church's job to stand up and say, hey, you know what? They can call this okay. It doesn't have to be sent to anybody. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get into my city and I'm going to reach my city and I'm going to touch somebody's life because the only way I'm going to affect the abortion rate is by the more people that come into this house. You want to see less abortions? Funnel them through FC Heart. You want to see less abortions? Then make a healthier place to raise a family. It is our job to get into the community and not the politician to get into the church. We don't want to reverse those roles because God didn't intend it to be that way. Why? Because I want to worship the creator and not the creation. It's about what he can do and not what I'm trying to do. And so as Christians, we can be appalled by culture, but yet... I think sometimes I just want it to be easier. If somebody else just makes it easier for me, instead of saying, now is the time for me to get into my city and make a difference and shift the narrative that this is a place of hope. Sterling Heights needs first church in this city. Sterling Heights needs first church to create a place to raise a family, to be safe for your children, to be safe for our elders. That is what this house is for. But let's make it scalable because I now have made this very broad. This is what we're looking at globally. This is what we're looking at across the nation. So let's make this a little bit scalable. If we're not careful, especially during this holiday season, we can go from celebrating him to celebrating everyone else under the umbrella of him. We can spend all the time. Listen, I, like you, I, I think I've probably slept six hours all week. No, not all week. I'm exaggerating. That's evangelistic. Since Thursday. Right. We go from house to house. We're eating turkey. We're eating. I mean, we're having a great time. We're with we're doing everything we can. And it's and it's been great. And we need to spend time with family. But we can get to a place where we start to invest in everything and everyone else. And yet we didn't invest in our time with him. If we were to take an honest poll, myself included, since the last week with all of our crazy schedules and family and visiting did we do our daily devotional every single day or did we miss out on one devotional? I heard an uh-oh. I think if we're all honest, we'd all say uh-oh. There's nothing wrong with spending time with your family. There's nothing wrong with having family over. There's something wrong when you don't even do a devotional for 10 minutes in one day to the creator instead of the creation. Our way of worshiping the creation is creating a space where we have everybody come over, but we had never invited him over. We created a bunch of time with everybody else, but we spent no time with him. That is us taking the worship from the creator to the creation. We could talk about finances. If you cannot pay off your credit card in the Christmas season, this is super practical. It's so spiritual, though. If we go shopping and I spend all my money, all my, and I get the kids, I get, I get everybody, all the closest people to me, they all get gifts. If I can't pay for cash 
or I can't pay it off before I start accruing interest, I have no business buying that. There is no reason I'm going to, because here's what happens. You, you, we live for the high of the moment, right? Man, when they open up their gift, they're going to be so happy. They're going to cry. And we build up this moment and then they get the gift. And yeah, and then they go home and they put it away because they got 33 more gifts. And then that credit card bill comes in and you're still paying and they forgot about it. You still own their gift. I'm just trying to teach you a basic principle. Are we worshiping the creator or the creation? Are we more interested in, in paying out interest and spending all this money on Christmas? Or did we forget that? Let's imagine there's still a field that needs to be built with another facility to reach this city. There's still commitments I have made to other people and to other things that I want to engage in and not just have to be able to just shell out everything right now. Am I really worshiping the creator over the creation? Or do we spend more time preparing our homes? Like I said, we've, we've been everywhere this last week trying to get some decorations in the house and I'm all for that but if my heart's not being prepared as much time as I'm investing in that house then I started worshiping my house more than my God if I'm not investing in making sure my heart is pure before him and that there is no sin in me and that I'm doing a self-check every single day doing my devotion if I'm not preparing my heart and I'm only preparing my house then I've started to worship my house what are we worshiping today? And I am coming to a close. I'd like the musicians to come up. I told you it wasn't going to be long. But I wanted to just challenge this because over the next few weeks, see, here's what happens so often. We spend from Thanksgiving till Christmas, a little bit beyond, six, seven weeks where we, yes, we are tired because we have given so much to the kingdom. This church does an excellent job with continuing the work in missions, continuing and serving others, continuing serving the city. You guys, we all do an incredible job of serving the vision of the house and making sure we're taking care of each other. But there can be a danger that comes where we start to just put a pause on things and start to invest just in our own families, just in our house, just in, just in the holiday season to where all of a sudden we let up on, on, on our devotions. We let up on praying. We let up on reading. We let up on, on, on investing in our relationship with, the, with God himself. And all of a sudden now, when it comes to January 1st, when we're doing our 21 days of fasting, that's because we're recovering from the last year. We're so busy spending 21 days of fasting because we're trying to pray all the junk out of our lives and get skinny because we ate a ton of food. I, know, I hate the Daniel's fast. I'm, I think, I'll, I'll be honest with you, three years ago, I changed that. All we did was the Daniel's fast. I remember talking to Brent Campbell. <laughs> he said, man, I love the Daniel's fast. I actually gained weight because Debbie's such a good cook. I'm like, bro, then you should eat cookies all day. Because that would be hard for him. Like, he can't take that fat. Like, I'll eat cookies all day. So I'd just rather just not eat for 21 days than eat a salad. I'm just going to be real with you. But I don't want to take 21 days of prayer and fasting, trying to correct behaviors from last year. I'd rather take my 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I'd rather set myself up for growth in the new year. And so I want to make sure I'm stewarding what God has given me, but I have to make sure that I am worshiping the creator and not worshiping the creation. I want to make sure that I am being diligent with what God has given me and not confusing the two. And so I want us to stand because this is what I want us to do as we prepare to close. If you go back to Romans chapter one and verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the created. If Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, then he is what we really need. It's to worship him. Everything else aside from him, we can start to worship his creation. So the lie becomes, well, 
if God, you'll, if you'll just give me a little bit more money this month, I'm going to be fine. God, if you'll just bring the right person into my life, I can finally heal. God, if, if, if you could just bring this, if you could just bring this relationship into my life, I can be whole again. God, if you could just repair this relationship, I, I, I can mend what was hurting inside of me. And we'll put so much emphasis, just like that museum where you come in and we'll look at the picture, we'll look at the painting, we'll look at the sculpture, and we can say, man, that, that is, man, I need that. I, I need that in my house. That's what's going to finally make the living room look complete. That's what the kitchen's finally going to look like we're settled in. And we've missed it because the creator who created that is wanting to be the center of your home. He wants to be the center of your time, the center of your relationships. So all I know with what we have heard abroad with the political scene, the financial climate, the frustration with the abortion rates, the answer has never been the politician. The answer has never been another set of laws and rules. The answer has always been Jesus. The answer has always been, God, if I could just keep worshiping you and putting you first, then God, we could create an environment where somebody comes into this room, where I can come into this room, and the thing that I'm struggling with the most can be dismantled in your presence. Because I never want to change and buy into the lie to saying, hey, if I could just rely on first church family to heal me, I'll be fine. There are things I've had to walk in the last year that nobody in this room could have helped me except God could have. And God did help me. Because why? I never worshipped his creation. I've always worshipped him. I've always kept the main thing the main thing. And so why don't we come up? And if you're here this morning and you're saying, hey, you know what? Man, my relationships are a mess. My finances they're messed up. I, I need to be healed. I, I want us all to come up to the front because I want us to take a moment where we're going to spend some time with him and say, God, if there's something that I've started to worship outside of you, I'm not worshiping the creation and not the creator. I want you to show that to me because God, I'm going to leave that here at the altar. And what I'm going to do as soon as I do that, I'm going to begin to worship you because you are the creator. Every provision is in your hands. I'm not going to build a house and put my faith in the scraps of wood. I'm going to put my faith that it was engineered properly. So I'm not going to be satisfied with the remnants of what God has given me. I'm not going to be satisfied with the little things that God has blessed me with. I want to have God present in my life to know that, you know what? I am going to worship the creator and not the creation. I'm not going to take the, next, the last six weeks, four weeks of this year, and I'm not going to give in to just worshiping creation. Been, I'm going to make sure I am in my Bible. I'm going to make sure I am reading. I'm going to make sure I stay disciplined through prayer and devotion and know that God is my creator. Everything else has its purpose and I can enjoy it, but I don't want to substitute those. So why don't we begin to pray right now and ask God if there is something that you are fighting with, if there is something in your life that you have been putting ahead of him remove God off of the throne and put your family on the throne put your girlfriend put your boyfriend on the throne put your finances on the throne why don't we remove that stuff off of the throne and begin to put him back on the throne and begin to worship him right now because I promise you if you'll worship him and put him first he will heal your heart he will mend the relationship he will touch your finances he will show you favor he will begin to direct you again but he can't do that if all we do is focus on the creation and not the creator so why don't we begin to sing together and let's begin to pray and be honest with him and say God I'm not going to end this year worshiping the creation but I'm going to end this year 
and start my next year with worshiping you, the creator. Jesus, I'm asking you, Lord. You know every heart's desire in this room. You know exactly what it is that we need. So God, if I put your people, if I put my family, if I put my money, whatever it is, God, if I, if I put that in front of you, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to pull that off, Lord. And I'm going to set you back on the throne of my life. Because, Lord, I never want to get, get it twisted to where the creation is more important than the creator. Because that can't save me. That can't heal me. That won't fix me. But you can. The author and finisher of my faith, God. You have pent me into existence. And so, Lord, I know that only you can remove me. And so, Lord, I am asking not for favor in the areas of my life, but, God, I'm asking for favor with our relationship, with you and me, God, at the forefront of it all, Lord. So, Lord, I am putting you back on the throne of my life, Lord, to worship you, to live intentionally, God, knowing that if I can just glorify you in my lifestyle, if I live with the spirit of thankfulness, if I live with the spirit of thankfulness, God, not relying on my relationship, not relying on what I can do in my own strength, but know, God, that that stuff is temporal. That comes in for a season and leaves out for a season. But God, you are always there. From the very beginning, you were there orchestrating and moving. And so, Lord, we give that to you this morning. As this becomes a place of praise, a place of worship, God, where we begin to lift you up and know that you are watching what is here. And you understand, God, that we are human. We do fall. I make mistakes, God. There are things I do that I'm embarrassed about. There are things I've said that I am ashamed about. But God, I never want to think that I can do this without you or to think that somebody else can come bail me out. But God, that I will put you first in my life, that I will trust you, God, in every season to know that I am going to worship you. I will keep you priority in my life, God. I will keep you in front of everything else. I don't ever want to get distracted with today's cultural issues. I don't want to get distracted, God, with, with what is expected from me, from what Hallmark is telling me. But God, to be able to keep you first, Lord, in this season, let's just begin to worship him right now and put him back on the throne and know that he is keeping you. He has kept you this far. He's not going to leave you anymore. He's going to walk with you through the night. He's going to be with you through this present time. 